Radical Truth is a podcast produced by TBLI Group and hosted by Robert Rubenstein. TBLI is making the financial system work for all. Our podcasts cover the wide range of ESG and impact investing topics. What it is, why is it booming, is it really helping, is impact regenerative in nature? How will climate change impact investments? There will be regular interviews with thought leaders, some known, some not known, but all brilliant, and we will have engaging conversations with all of them. Can we create an economy based upon well-being? Let's make the financial system work for all. This is Radical Truth. Gustav Bromberg started Gulsbank Invest, an early-stage investor in disruptive companies in sustainability. When nobody wanted to invest in Oatly, a $10 billion IPO, Goldspung invested. His new vehicle, RE Food, is investing in entrepreneurs, solving the food system's structural problems for generations to come. He will discuss how a family office is revolutionizing the food system. This is Radical Truth. My apologies. <laughs> my, my, my microphone on mute. Um, for those of you who haven't joined before, if you need to send a private direct message to someone, just move your mouse over their name. Window will pop up. You can send them a, a message. And if you have a comment or a question, just type it in the lower right hand corner. We stop exactly at three at uh, four o'clock. Uh, Gustav has to leave then, and then we will start the virtual networking where you can, you'll be connected with someone in the virtual space every five minutes for a five-minute video chat. So for those of you who are not familiar with um, Gustav Bromberg and what his family uh, does, they have a family office, Gustav Invest, and they have been incredibly active in the food technology space, but I'm not going to do the full presentation. I'm going to let Gustav share his uh, background, what brought him here, what is he doing, what is their ambitions, and how we all can help him. Gustav, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Uh, a short background, then I started out as a programmer. So I have a Master of Science in Information Technology, and I founded a IT consultant company in 1996, 25 years ago. It's still active and is working with Spotify and iSettle and King and all the other tech unicorns in, in Stockholm. So I think that brought me kind of two things. One is I'm thinking in systems uh, by training. And the other thing is uh, I've got a, you know, the megalomania virus. When you, when you see companies and startups going from basically nothing to global leaders, and uh, really, really changing the world, you uh, realize that it's possible. So when I started out as an investor 10 years ago or 11 years ago, together with my father uh, and, and later on my brothers joined, the idea was to invest in tech companies. So we did that for four or five years. And then in 2014, I participated in a program with the Stockholm Resilience Center. And uh, they had a partnership with Singularity University. So we had a program with 22 members uh, from all over the Baltic region, an international program, and, and discussed planetary boundaries, uh, transformations, tipping points. As so I got a lot of tools to think in those, um, how to think about uh, system change. And then 
Uh, we also discussed, you know, exponential technologies, which I already previously was interested in, of course, but we, we now you tend to think about them as transformative innovations, you know, stuff that really can transform the world, uh, where there is a before and an after, and it can go back to the fire or the, the wheel or the printing press or internet and so on. Uh, so I got a, a few tools there, and then back then I realized how big and, and uh, in need of change the food system is. I hadn't really thought so much about it that everyone in the world wakes up hungry every day, and also the negative impact the food system has on the planet at the moment. Uh, and then I decided to look into this. So uh, we went from pure tech investors to you know food tech investors, and one of the first investments was in Oakley. Uh, completed different type of technology that I would have been interested in just a year previously, but they have been tremendously successful and we have been inspired a lot about how they think about changing the world. And uh, then we've done a few other investments. So I'm, I'm the chairman of Nix. Uh, we do uh, ice cream and chocolate. That is, you know, the best ice cream and chocolate in the world. And it happens to be uh, sugar free. Uh, and that can really be one of the keys to, to battle diabetes and obesity and so on. Um, and then a year ago, we decided to do something more in the food space. So we have now set up a team that only works with food, in, food investments called Goldspong Refood. And we also structured all our thoughts, uh, you know, collected all the scientific reports and everything we could find and had read previously, but then did our own report called Food is Solvable with our approach on how you can use these transformative innovations, entrepreneurship, uh, risk willing, uh, but also patient capital because, you know, big shifts take time. So the VC fund structure is not always the best way to, <laughs> to back those kind of companies. So we have an advantage there being a family and being more long term. And then, um, you know, finding this, these companies that can really accelerate positive shift. So the report is called Food is Solvable, and everyone who's interested in what we're doing can read it and, and get a better picture. So, yeah, that was... I think you're muted. I, I can't hear you. My apologies. Um, you said to me once, I remember the, the quote, I was quite surprised, happily surprised. You said to me, my family has done very well financially done very well and we can afford to take big risks and we will still be able to eat which i've never heard a family office say something like that that the that that you you see the need for sometimes quite risky moves like perhaps oatly at the time um do you find other family offices with that similar thinking I think that kind of thinking you really find in VC funds. So we have been inspired by by the best venture capitalists here in Stockholm, Grandom, North Zone, and they're all our friends. And, and we think they're doing a tremendously good job. We think they focus on the wrong kinds of companies sometimes, uh, but they're really skilled at what they're doing. And I think this, you know, thinking in bets is really important. And, that, and the mindset that you can lose all the money if you go into a risky business, but you can only lose all the money. So if the upside is 10x or 100x that we have had in some of our investments, then uh, in the end, you will come out uh, on the positive side. 
as a capitalist. And we are capitalists. We also are, you know, we are world citizens. So we are just as worried about climate and, and you know, uh, what we're doing to this planet as, as everyone else. And <clears throat> we are parents, so we want to leave something behind to our to future generations that is in better shape than we took over. So can try to combine all those things uh, into one. With with your new fund, because you said you can take a long-term view, you can yes. patient capital, are, are there other investors in this new fund or is it only funded by yourself, by your family? Uh, first of all, it's not a fund. So it's a fund-like structure, but it's an evergreen. And that's, okay. I think, it's, it's extremely important because... Both from our perspective, we don't want to have to, to go for an exit uh, when the company is not ready for that. We do sell our shares in companies, uh, but we want to be able to be long-term at all times. And also because some of these challenges, you know, you don't know how long time it will take to build something of value. And then I, 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 our best investment in the family we held in for 25 years, uh, at least pre, uh, prior to Oatly, but it was on the, like in the same, I think we got a thousand X uh, my father did an investment in 1890 in a small company, and they became the global leader in security cameras, so a technology company. And we have been influenced a lot about their culture, very long-term, very good culture. I served on the board for several years and you know, tried to learn as much as possible from that company. So f- first of all, uh, it's not a fund, it's an evergreen structure. And then secondly, the first year we have been funding it ourselves, and now we are raising external money from um, family offices and uh, institution here in Sweden. So, when you, uh, when I don't know if it was Oatly approached you or you approached Oatly or you bumped into them while you were having a drink at a at a cafe. Um, how how early was that in the development of Oatly? Because I mean, they're in, they've been ten billion dollar. Yeah, but uh, at that time, they were all already making an impact and, and uh, being noticed in Sweden, but they hadn't, um, they hadn't launched in the U.S., which kind of was the big risk. Okay. And uh, I am well connected in the, in the entrepreneurship, like entrepreneurial networks in, in Stockholm. And so uh, I was approached by the founders or a representative of the founders who wanted to sell some shares because they have a, a few other really, really interesting projects going on. And they really go uh, early, like in the research, they do, um, you know, studies. Uh, and before they, these projects are even fundable by an investor, they, they have been funding it themselves. So they wanted to sell some shares to fund those projects. And my impression is that they had been going around for a while uh, without getting anyone to, to buy the shares. And... Um, uh, I I wrote in the in the uh, you know we have a document where we put down all the all the risks and pros and cons and so on and uh, that, the shares are a bit expensive at the time compared to how they were doing but I think they had about uh, thirty million dollars thirty million euros in sales back then uh, so it was not uh, really early they had been going on for twenty years they were growing uh, a little bit healthy but they hadn't really reached the hockey stick yet. But but what they really had managed to do was to build a very very loyal customer base, uh, and there was a a fight with the Swedish milk industry, and uh, they had to stop use the uh, slogans such as "made for milk." No, it's like milk, but made for humans, mm-hmm. and uh, that had a big backlash on in social media from Oatly customers, you know, um, trolling the milk company in, in Sweden. 
so I could tell that uh, they were really good at building a report with, with their customers. And that's one, I mean, that's one competitive advantage uh, when you work with, um, with sustainability. People think uh, we are, you know, we are nice people who want to solve big problems, but we think it's a competitive advantage. You get like, better, more loyal customers, you get better employees who want to work with something meaningful. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a good, good type of company to invest in just from that perspective. From, from the, the vehicle, not the fund, the evergreen mm-hmm. vehicle that you're creating uh, now, um, what do you look for in a company? Do you only invest in startups? Do you invest in, in, or in late stage and growth? Uh, what are you looking for? What is your ideal company? Uh, when I started out investing, I could invest on a PowerPoint. Uh, mm-hmm. Now we have our minimum ticket size is about a million euro. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and preferably more than that, which means that we can't go too early and we wouldn't have time to engage with, with the companies either. So, uh, it's um, mainly growth capital. We do some pre-revenue investments in really promising uh, companies. Uh, the most important is uh, is the team, of course, and the you know the entrepreneurs. And that's the first thing I learned when I started investing. And then it took about four or five years to to uh, get a feeling for what a good entrepreneur is and not. I was really impressed with uh, some people in the beginning that I'm not at all impressed with. So I want to have um, you know people who really know their stuff and know the industry they are in and what, how their customers think and uh, really have a clear strategic sense of, of where they want to take the company. Um, and then, then, of course, they need to have something uh, that uh, they can use as a leverage, usually technology of some sort. Uh, yeah. And the um, you, you've chosen for this vehicle food, the food sector, yes. or food innovation or putting back a soul in food or slow food or, or healthy food. Why specifically food? Why did you choose that? Um, we are three brothers uh, who own Spong together. And uh, one of them, one of my brothers is in, involved in, in energy. So he's driving that, that leg of the business. Okay. And then we have done education and health tech investments as well, because they are also very meaningful. Uh, we haven't really had a you know, big success. We have a yeah, we have a few promising companies, but um, uh, we decided that in order to stay, uh, you know, really good at what we're doing, we needed to narrow down even further. So now we do energy and food, and I'm totally focused on food. So partly it's um, it's because we want to be really uh, a good partner for the companies and know what we're doing. So we want to narrow it down. I mean, the, the food system is still very, very big and lots of different uh uh, you know, you can't be experts in all parts of, of the food system. It's, it's huge. <laughs> I have a personal interest in food and health, which means that I can combine work and uh, life. I don't believe in work-life balance at all uh, because uh, the slash there in the middle uh, implies that that work is not a part of life, which is a, would be terrible. I mean, you spend a lot of time at work so and you just have one life. If you don't do something meaningful, uh, then uh, you should change. Try to, to try to find a new job. And then, of course, the, if you don't solve the food system, you can't solve the sustainability issue with the world. So in the end, it comes down to 
what we feel is really uh, meaningful right now. It's the only problem we really need to solve is the one planet problem. We only have one planet and we are using the resources on the planet um, in a way that's not sustainable. And we, we, we tend to see sustainability in a very, very practical term. It's not a moral or it's not about saving the planet. It's about uh, if you don't, if it's not sustainable, you can't sustain it. You, you can't go on doing like we're doing like right now. So we need to change. And we should do it fast because right now we are consuming resources that we really should leave for future generations. And if you put it in that perspective, we are here for 100 years maximum. And then after us, there will hopefully be uh, hundreds of thousands and and even millions or maybe a billion years of human life on this planet if we do it right. Uh, And, uh, you know, we can really steal from the billions of people coming after us, I think, which which I think we're doing right now. So... Um, there's a combination of interest and something really meaningful, something really fun, and everyone loves food, and everyone works, uh, wakes up hungry every day. So, it's something you can. Do you focus exclusively on Nordic investments? Because I always hear complaints: "Oh, there's no deals out there. We can't yeah. find any deals." And I always say, "Where are you looking? You know, yeah. are you yeah, lots looking of on Bloomberg? Yeah, okay, you're not going to find it." Yeah, at the moment, uh, uh, we are doing investments in Europe and um, US and Israel. Uh, in the future, we also want to do investments in Asia. We think the best companies can come from basically anywhere. And there are lots of interesting food tech hubs uh, in the world. And um, yeah, we don't want to be limited to Sweden or Nord- the Nordics just because we happen to grow up there. And how, but how do you find these deals? I mean, are they coming to you or are you chasing them down or you have like scouts around the world that are driving it to you? First of all, I think, uh, once again, the advantage of being long-term. So when I started investing in food, I thought this is probably my last uh, uh, investment theme I'm going to follow. So if I, if I do this for the rest of my life, I I might get, get good at it eventually. And then you can have a perspective that our, our overall tagline is we partner with entrepreneurs to create progress. So the progress part is really important, but the partnership with the entrepreneurs is also something we always honor. So partly we get recommendations. Now we get from the, you know, the CEO of Oatly and the founders of Oatly and uh, the founder of Nix. Uh, if they say that we are good investors, uh, that means a lot for us. That's, that's, that's uh, so we get uh, qu- quite a few inbound cases from just our reputation and what we've done previously, uh, which is a good good reason for to behave, I think. And then uh, we do work networks. So we have other co-investors in many of our in all our portfolio companies, mm-hmm. and then, uh, we share cases with them, in investment opportunities, and they they share investment opportunities with us. So step by step, we are building out our network. Um, yes. There's been um, about $8 billion invested in these 10-minute home delivery couriers who bring you milk because you forgot to go shopping. I, I, I was trying to wrap my head around that when I see problems of obesity, climate change, and that, and $8 billion pouring into this. SoftBank invested in two of them. Um, have any of them ever approached you? Yes, yes, of course. Um, I think, uh, the, like one one key thing uh, that we always look at is uh, is the problem that this 
company is solving yeah. really one of the fundamental problems with the food system that needs to be solved otherwise that will really undermine the uh, our civilization so if we run out of uh, phosphor to, to to put in in uh, yeah if if the yields go down so we can't, can't sustain the yields we have then that will lead to starvation and if the like look at what we've done during COVID in terms of, uh, you know, shutting down cities, but also protecting ourselves by, you know, stopping export of vaccines and so on. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a relatively, it's a terrible disease. It's a terrible disease, uh, but it's, it's not threatening civilization in the way, like if, if we run out of food, then uh, that could be the trigger for the third world war. So, uh, I don't. I hope we won't get there, and I don't think uh, the risk is huge. I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic about the future, but um, uh, we try to look at: is this a really major problem that needs to be solved? And uh, I mean, I live in a, in a country, a rich country, and we have our problems, our rich country problems, and there are problems because we live here and we feel those problems. But maybe that's not the most meaningful thing you can go out and solve. Uh, there are so many fundamental problems that needs to be solved. You, you wrote a quite a comprehensive manifesto, almost about uh, the the mission of uh, Gulspang or RE Food. Um, you probably you could see that you spent quite a lot of time in preparing that. Um, so the ambition is not only ten x returns. You can read it from the manifesto very clearly. How long did you did you, did it take? For you to put that together, and how long have you been kind of kicking around the idea? It's quite comprehensive. Uh, I, I prepared for it, or so we prepared our whole lives. I would say, like you, as the job said in a speech, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. But these are things we've always been interested in. Uh, but then it took just a few months to put it together, and we got tremendous help from Therese Dollebrandt, who actually wrote the report. So I was more feeding stuff uh, into the process. And then we had maybe 11 revisions. And I think the hard thing was not to, and there are lots of facts, lots of reports, lots of work done. So we could, we don't have to do any research ourselves. We want researchers to do research. And we have a close cooperation with the Stockholm Resilience Center and also with the founder of the National SEP, who only, only already in the 80s, you know, worked with sustainability issues. So... 30, 40 years ago. Uh, So we we build on models that other people have developed. Uh, And then the hard thing was, how should we tell this story, this narrative, and who should we make the protagonist of the story? Is it the problems in the food system? Is it the innovations, the entrepreneurs? And we realized, no, it's the shifts. And we actually call it food is solvable and how entrepreneurs and early stage investors can solve structural problems. Uh, But but it's not really about solving problems. Uh, It's uh, changing them so that the reason the problems are there in the first place go away, Uh, which is a way of thinking that I think is really, really powerful once you you get it. So there are lots of problems with uh, raising, uh, you know, animal factory farming. And you can go into that and try to solve that by giving them uh, supplements so they don't uh, release as much greenhouse gases. Or you can, you know, you can make a Fitbit for cows to make sure cows don't, you know, go and die in the middle of a 25,000 cow uh, herd. 
you know, there are startups working on those problems. But if you solve the root cause problem, that you sh- like it's a very bad idea to put that many animals in the same place. Uh, and if you develop... Uh, but there, uh, there are also good reasons to put that many animals because it brings down the price of meat. <laughs> and meat can, you know, it, we have had a lack of, of food and meat and high quality proteins for basically the whole uh, history of humankind. So I understand why we do that, but it's a really bad idea to, to do that and use all the antibiotics and, you know, you cut down rainforest to produce soy to ship to China and put that in the 750 million pigs they have there and so on. So if you can kind of just get out of that paradigm and make a protein shift to um, more plant-based, more, you know, from the bottom of the food chain uh, instead of the top, then you don't have those problems. You haven't really solved the problems. You just, you know, they, they disappear. So the, the whole report is about those paradigm shifts. And we have identified four, but I mean, you can slice the plant in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for our thinking, we, we have um, decided that it's the protein shift. It's the healthy diet shift. So, you know, um, it's, it's a paradox. Some, like it's still 800 million people starve or uh, they get too few calories. And then we have 2 billion people who are overweight. And uh, some of them are undernourished as well, a lot of them. So uh, you get a lot of calories, but not enough, enough nutrients with the food we get in the West. So that's a big problem. And then we have, um, uh, uh, we call it the circular supply chain mm-hmm. shift, which is a very broad theme. And it's not like one shift, it's many, many different. And then we have uh, the re- regenerative farming shift that we, you know, we need to produce food so that we build uh, up the capacity to produce food. And at the moment we are increasing yields and maximizing yields, but we are decreasing the capacity. So that's a really bad idea in the long term. And, and by definition, unsustainable. So it needs to change. What do, I mean, I'm sure you know quite a few other family offices or other family offices. Hey, what is that guy doing over there? He seems to be doing quite well. We should chat with him. Do you, do you find that the other family offices that you engage with either say, you know, what are you doing? You know, what is, what is this? Or do, are they, kind of cynical or questioning or they think, wow, this is a great strategy going forward. We should get on board. Changing minds. Yes, we have great discussions and there are many people who have come further in their thinking. And and I mean I didn't choose the title of this seminar, like how one family office can <laughs> transform the food. We did that. Guilty. Yeah, because we can't do it alone and there are many people probably in the audience here who is doing just as much or more. So now this is, has to be a movement, and and we think like we we want to influence others, and we want to learn from others, uh, and we we have realized that family offices, families, is really good. But you can you can have a discussion whether or not it's good that uh, some people accumulate a lot of wealth, and you know uh, while there is still a lot of poor people in the world. But one advantage is that we can think, think very long term. Uh, and if we go to VC funds, we have actually uh, really, really good uh, VC general partners who say they want to invest in refood because they really believe from, like, from a personal standpoint, they believe that what we're doing is really important. But their funds are not into sustainability. It's, they, do, they invest in things that are you know, go, driving the world the other, the other way. Mm. Uh, and for me, that's, um, 
I can understand it because they don't they are not as wealthy as, as some of the families we speak to and they want to be become wealthy for some reason uh, and um, you can accept that but but I, I for me it's really strange if you have come to that insight from as a person uh, why don't you want to align what you do in your in your work settings because they have been very successful in doing what they've been doing up to now and and so they haven't you know had the courage yet to change so i think uh, it's it's more fruitful to discuss with long-term you know uh, foundations families everyone who has a longer perspective than you know just the next fund or the next quarter yeah and is do they do they like the idea that it's one evergreen that it's not a fund structure it's more of a kind of holding uh, a structure do they does that appeal to them or do they say why, why don't you once uh, yes and we were a bit surprised i mean we didn't know how that would be received uh, for us it's a really big step to raise uh, uh, money and invest other people's money and we it's kind of nice to only risk your own money especially yeah. when you take big bets I, if you lose your own money that's your problem and you don't have to you know worry so much but if you lose other people's money that's a different story uh, and we did we, we decided to try to go for an unusual um, vehicle and the easy thing would have been to just set up a fund like everyone else and uh, the, the the way we have done it it means that we are not many institutions can't invest in us because they're not allowed they don't have the mandate yeah. to go outside you know the 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 norm uh, but what really, really made me happy was the ones we now have um, as lead investors, they really liked what we're doing and really understand why we want to do it in that way So and really align with us on on the purpose. Um, so And also are also really good at themselves, at sustainability and a good network, so, so they can help us in that, in that sense. Do you find that you spend more time in discussions with other asset owners about getting involved in this movement rather than managing the fund? <laughs> no, uh, we are entrepreneurs at heart and a lot of the entrepreneurs we invest in, they reach out to us and that's also always our top priority. So if someone you know, has, a, has a, something they want to discuss, we don't go in, in the operations of the companies. I did that in the beginning and it's a terrible idea to be an investor and then try to take sales calls and, you know, recruit people. Uh, you can do that as a business angel, uh, but then you really have to be on the inside for a while. Um, but and now we invest in much better entrepreneurs that we can ever be. But we don't do that, but we always, you know, uh, we are available for our, uh, our the management teams in the companies we invest in. And that's our top priority. And then we do the other stuff uh, when we have time. Uh, but but it's a risk, and I think that's an advantage of not having external money is that you can focus 100% on on helping the companies and looking for the next investment and you know, sourcing sourcing deals. But now you are accepting external money, so you'll have to also kind of you have to show returns probably I guess because yes. you know do they have as long time frame as yes. you? Because yes. people say long term. You know, I remember giving a, a, a lecture to a pension, Dutch pension fund, and it was three quarters of a day. And the whole day they kept running back to their screens. I said, I thought you invest for 30 years. Yes. Why do you keep looking at the screen? Exactly. No, 
that was funny because when I started out investing and uh, someone asked me, are you, are you long-term? Uh, and, I, and I said, yes, yes, we're long-term. And I said, what, what's long-term for you? Is it five years and it's seven years? And I didn't really, uh, you know, I hadn't thought about it. And I said, well, I found, founded my uh, company 15 years ago and I don't have any plans of selling. And then our, like we have had this company for 20 years and we're not planning to sell. So I don't know <laughs> what it. Uh, but one thing we have realized also that uh, you're not always the best owner and man- many families, they stick to their companies uh, for too long. And also maybe because their you know, father or grandmother uh, founded it and for very, you know, this is a huge part of the family and the family story. And we tried not to be that attached to the companies because we also, our first question is always in every situation, what's best for the company? And sometimes it's, uh, you can find a better owner uh, for the company and then we're open to discuss. Uh, but this is always done in the, in, in uh, discussions with the founders and we try to align our time horizon with them. Uh, and also, I mean, our, our, my, our first major uh, exit I was involved with what was this company Axis Communications security 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 cameras and they we were shareholders for 25 years and then we were approached by Canon mm. and the Japanese company and their chairman and CEO actually came to see us which was a great honor he's a legend in Japan wow. and he had you know 200,000 employees and he took the time to come to to uh, Copenhagen to meet with us there. And uh, we realized that we didn't want to sell. The founder wanted to sell. They could, they have been a much better owner of the company that we could ever be. They have lots of technology and knowledge, and they're also long-term. And the founder, he's still uh, employed in the company. He sold his shares. He got about 200 million euros, uh, which was almost, um, you know, it, it, this was a listed company. So it was a very public company. Uh, he had done lots of good things helping others with that money, but you know he's still working as an employee without being a shareholder, and that's the kind of people we like. That you know, he built the company; it's the best possible employer he can even think of, and now he doesn't own it, but he's still he's still there helping out. So. Okay, I'm going to start taking some questions. Um, Adriana wanted to know what is the major indicator for your success, you personally. Ah, that's a very good uh, question. Um, no, we like, uh, we have defined our purpose that we want to leave something behind that is in better shape than we took over. Uh, and that goes for the world around us, you know, as a, you know, this generation on planet Earth should leave something uh, after us that is better. But it's also for the, for the family business. And then we said, okay, what's in better shape? We should have more funds, more capital. So of course, uh, financial success is important, but even more important is uh, reputation and um, knowledge and skills. So we tend to look at, you, you, you know, we tend to, when we evaluate how we're doing and not look so like, change, make a difference between outcome and process. So sometimes you do everything right. You know, you take the right kind of bet, and you work with you know everything right, and then the outcome is not as you hoped for, uh, and that can be okay if it was something that you were just unlucky or something happened that you couldn't predict. COVID came or something like that. Uh, sometimes you're lucky, so you get uh, 10x or like a really good return, but that was just luck, uh, and and not really uh, just happened to be in the right place in the right time and and. 
So we try to evaluate ourselves on um, how we're doing. And, and what makes me happy is when someone recommends me. So if I get a inbound from someone who recommended me as an investor, it means that we did something right previously and, and so on. So I think we, we try to measure ourselves in how how good we are at you know building that reputation and that, those relations and uh, and of course in the you know how the companies are doing and for a while it was a kind of a conflict uh, versus impact and financial success and um, and uh, a lot of people think that impact investing is about you know having doing good for the world and uh, and uh, accepting lower returns while we think it's the opposite, we solve big problems, you can really big, uh, build a big company and you can have great financial returns as well. And actually, if you do that, if you have a profitable business model, you can, um, you can grow without external capital. You can grow from your own profits and then you can make an even bigger impact. So it all comes together. Not all problems can be solved that way, but a lot of problems can be solved that way. And we are looking for the ones that can. Um, so financial success is all, also important, but... The best thing is like if we if we do our homework, we do investment, and things play out. It never plays out as we thought. There are always uh, you know surprises along the way, but in in general, and and if we can keep a good relationship with the founders, even if things go south and you know we have hard times and struggle a little bit, uh, then we also think we're successful. Can you? I don't know if you're if you're able to. Maybe it never happened. But what was the most unsuccessful investment that you did and what was there a specific reason that that happened yeah there are many <laughs> uh, i can see one that i recently came to mind because you know blockchain and bitcoin has become so uh, hot right now mm-hmm. it's an investment we did in knc miner back in 2014 maybe i don't know uh, and it was kind of, you know, uh, a company that had the potential to be, you know, the Bitcoin bank of the world. And uh, it, we had to make our minds in just a few days. And it was, uh, you know, a two million euro ticket or something. And that time it was a lot of money for me. Uh, and we did, you know, our analysis and then we, we invested and then it went bankrupt. <laughs> so we lost all the money in a relatively short time, in a year or so. And just before, there also were going to be a shift in the Bitcoin, uh, uh, you know, the, there, there are certain rules. And just a few weeks before, there was a change where, where the amount of Bitcoins given up to the transaction partners were, were cut in half. They, they, they closed down the business. And there are so many things in that. It was a you know, winner-takes-it-all scenario. And it was an arms race, and in the end, this company lost out to Chinese, you know, people putting computers on the network, and that didn't make sense. They probably lost money because they, or they got free energy somehow, uh, because they couldn't make money if they if they had to pay for the energy. Uh, and so they, it was an arms race. I don't like that kind of winner takes it all businesses. I like businesses where you can, if you build a strong culture and have a good product, you, you will create a good company and it will be valued it will be valuable and uh, maybe not the global leader but it will be a great company to work for and you know have customers that are happy and then uh, it was fear of missing out we had just a few days to do it and uh, yeah there were so many mistakes with it but it was a good lesson and the um 
specifically, why is it that um, we've been doing uh, events often in in the Nordics, particularly in Sweden, and everybody has this perception, the Nordics, that's like another continent. That's like, you know, Africa. It's like so far away. No, it's, it's a really short flight. It's not that far. Um, so why is it that perception? At the same time, you have so much innovation and so many successful Swedish companies and Nordic companies happening there. What is it about the culture there that, uh, stimulates entrepreneurship, but also investment and innovation. I mean, you know, uh, Spotify, Northvolt, uh, Coolspan, I mean, the many. So what is it, what is in the water over there uh, that creates this? But at the same time, I still speak to lots of investors. Oh, wow, that's so far away. We never get up to the Nordics. It is far away. Uh, and uh, I mean, I don't know. You you tell me. And there are people are you know doing a lot more research on this than than I have. But something happened in the mid nineteenth century. We were a really poor company uh, country, and you know, a third of the population left for the U.S. In wow, really? Yes, we had uh, starvation. Uh, we had a few years in the eighteen sixties that went really terribly wrong. Uh, so a lot of people left, um, and um, then there was a lot of innovation in the second half of the 19th century that led up to, you know, Alfred Nobel and the Nobel Prize. He was one of the most wealthy uh, men in Europe when he died um, in 1896. And then you have Ericsson, you know, a lot of companies that are now uh, global leaders in what they do. I don't know why that happened and why, um, you know, technology became ubiquitous in Sweden and uh, maybe it's the cold winters we stay indoors and you know work on innovations I don't know or it's because we trust each other and uh, we are really mm. collaborating which I th- might be actually the the secret sauce it's the kind of the flip side of the jant- the law of Jante that you might have heard of that yeah. one is allowed to be special uh, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down but <laughs> the good you know the other side is that you know since we feel we are equal uh, you, we are good at collaborating and feeling, you know, a sense of common purpose and work together. Flat that that law of of Jante or Jantelangen, um that idea of not boasting. Yes, um, I think that it would be a good idea if they kind of adjust that a little bit because the, really the ones that are doing the most are talking the least, and the ones doing the least are talking the most. So unfortunately, people chase the press releases when there's nothing there, where there's something concrete, particularly as we've seen personally in in the Nordics. Um, uh, I know it can be stated as uh, you shouldn't think you're special. And I think Law of Jante 2.0 is you shouldn't think you're the only one who's special. (laughs) It's a much better way of, you know, slightly twisted, totally different meaning, yeah. You should be proud of what you're doing, and and if you have something to contribute with, you should do that. And if that brings you success, don't you know? That's great. And other people can be successful. You don't have to compete, and you can help each other and so on. So, okay, yeah. I'm going to take a couple more questions. We don't worry. We will leave, we end on time. Um, Rick wanted to know: Do you allocate in honeybee sanctuaries? Uh, like real honeybees. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we, we don't. Uh, no, 
<laughs> and uh, that's a specific question. The answer is no. <laughs> Do you fund an initiative to research on nutrition improvements from new plant varieties? Uh, we are um, like our model is to be capitalists. So we we think a lot of people uh, in the environmental movement are like watermelons, you know, green on the outside and red on the inside, mm. all the way. Uh, which I, I sympathize with uh, uh, quite a bit from the left, uh, and I think there is a problem with um, too too much gaps in income and so on, uh, which is a paradox since I probably I'm one of the you know one percent or, but um, we really try to. I've seen so many entrepreneurs, they build successful companies, and then when they're old, they try to do good. So then they turn into, you know, only giving the money away. So they work really hard to build companies, and then they work really hard to give the money away. Yeah. We try to combine this. We try to work really hard to build companies that make a lot of money so we can help more entrepreneurs to build companies and make a lot of money and so on, try to get this, you know, combine it. So we haven't been really good at giving money away. What we've done now is we have... Um, um, we have a partnership Stockholm Resilience Center that will be announced soon where we, we fund their research and yeah. not, we can't control it in any way, but um, it's where you know, they're going to do research and every, it's for the world to benefit from it, but we, also, we can benefit from what we're doing there and it's related to food system and ex exactly how we are thinking about finding these change agents uh, for paradigm shifts. So we're doing that. Uh, but we try to keep it really connected to things we can use when we uh, work as investors. Then I'm a happy taxpayer, and then I think there's you know should be research grants and and uh, you know we need money not that is not part of the capitalistic system that mm -hmm. costs really good things as well. But we're not we don't have foundations or anything like that at the moment that give give away money. No, we, we've TBLIs always focused on uh, changing the mindset of investors because. The philanthropic model is using only 5% of the capital, which is subsidized by taxpayers. I mean, that model is not offer scale. Uh, it's important, but it's uh, we focus mainly it's, on yeah, yeah. We need a complement to that, definitely. And I mean, if you don't change capitalism and the finance system, we will never get to sustainability. It, I mean, I mean say we try to be green, uh, green on the outside, uh, caring for the planet, and then uh, green as dollars on the inside, and, you know, and I think you were really, you're one of the thought leaders and uh, like re early on realizing this, that big corporations are actually not uh, evil. Uh, no. I, they're usually immoral. So they do their stuff. And mm -hmm. if it happens to damage the planet, uh, often they don't dare to change because that will hurt their, uh, if they're listed on a stock exchange that, you know. Uh, and then you need to, you know, find out their paradigm and, and challenge them. But um, they're immoral, not not evil. And uh, sometimes they are the vehicles of change. So, for example, Stockholm Resilience Center works with the biggest fish, uh, fishing corporations in the world, mm. and if like ten ten biggest, that they also realize that if we kill all the fish in the in the oceans, we are out of business. Mm -hmm. So they also have a self interest in regulating and you know and and Seaspiracy is a terrible movie, but a lot of the things in the movie is actually not true. Uh, because the, the industry is better than that. I, I don't say it's per they're perfect. There are lots and lots of problems in the fishing industry, but at least the big corporations can be used as a vehicle for change. And if, if you have 10 big corporations that do changes, things happen. 
if you have 500,000 or 1 million uh, you know, f- uh, fishermen going out in boats doing terrible stuff. It's really hard to change. Uh, so yeah, try to be pragmatic. And, and, but I, I agree that you know, capitalism must be... Uh, I, I believe in free, free markets, but it has to be bounded so mm-hmm. that it won't uh, hurt uh, the biosphere. We've always focused on trying to engage mainly with irresponsible investors and criminals. I mean, when we started 25 years ago, there was not there was no sustainable investment space. So but I also found that it's actually quite easy to get behavioral change that if you ask any asset owner, do you want a financial return and a social environmental added value? I've never had anybody say to me, no, I want all my money to make life miserable for everyone. And I'm working at that 24 seven. So I agree with you. They're amoral. And once they see the self-interest and the opportunity money flows, the behavioral change is not that hard. No, of course there are criminals and there are really bad companies, but I don't think that's, uh, uh, they are edge cases and, you know, the the bad apples, not the system in itself. And I mean, I, we have this fantastic tool for, for you know, uh, influencing behavior that is global. Uh, you know, we don't have uh, legislation that we, where we can affect everyone in the world. We can't forbid Chinese people to do stuff if we live right. and so on. But we have money, and everyone understands money, and it's kind of a currency that we we can uh, compare everything on the global on, on the earth with money. So if we make all the bad stuff expensive and all the good stuff cheap, there will be a behavioral shift. So I, we should use that tool. But then, of course, that needs a lot of, you know, regulations. And I would like to reform the tax system totally if I could and so on. And that will take a lot of time. We can't wait for that. So, um, Safar wanted to know, are you looking for other investors in your new vehicle? Um, we have uh, the investors we want. Okay. We have, uh, we are open for really good entrepreneurs uh, that have, you know, have a good network, and that can, and then the tickets can be quite small. Um, but then we want to get to know them. But you can always reach out, and we can discuss. So. Um, let's see. Uh, Cecile wanted to know. Very interesting. Will RE Food only invest in disruptive companies, or will it invest in establishing companies transforming themselves? and helping accelerate the transition. For instance, in the protein shift, how would you look at a company producing chicken products responsibly given white meat protein has a much better environment and healthy profile than red meat? Yeah, chicken meat is good. And unfortunately, I don't eat it because <laughs> uh, I know how it's produced. Now, of course, it's not the chicken that's pr- the problem. It's the chicken factories. So if you do it very responsibility, res- responsible, a, s- a small farm, you know, and let them have good lives. That's, uh, I think it should be a part of the food system going forward. Uh, we don't invest in those companies uh, because I think uh, I think the real leverage for change is to replace the, like not not working with the high end chicken meat, but replacing the low end. And I mean, consumers, they don't, yeah. if you go to McDonald's and eat a burger, it's not important that a cow suffered uh, for you to like have a good meal. Uh, you don't think about it. It's And there's a disconnect between the consumer and the producer. And some people think it's a problem. And in, in a sense, it is. If you live in a city, you don't understand how, how the food got there. Uh, you don't really value it. But it's also an advantage because you can... Um, sorry, because you can actually... Um, 
you know, replace the the patty in the middle with something that wasn't alive, uh, wasn't a living animal. So no, we work with uh, you know uh, plant-based chicken, plant-based cheese, plant-based milk, those kinds. Uh, but I I mean it's really good if you, if if other people work with uh, you know improving the lives of animals that that serve as food for humans, and uh, I, I see nothing wrong in that if the the animals have a good life and a good you know kind of good death if they're not suffering. Uh, final question, because uh, we're coming toward the end. John uh, from California, John Dennison, was wondering, what would you say is the number one impediment in the transformation of the food and ag system? Uh, I think that the things that are do the most damage are really good things, really good stuff. You know, plastic is, you know, it's a revolutionary material. It's a fantastic uh, so you don't want to, re- re- you know, it's not so easy to replace the packaging with other stuff. And, uh, you know, cheap meat is great and sugar, I mean, it's the best ingredient ever. It's really cheap, tastes great. Uh, it preserves the food and so on. So I think that's the, uh, we don't want to go back. Uh, and I mean, we, we can blame the big companies and the systems that have been built and how they destroy the planet. But if you go back 150 years, most people in the world were really poor and had poor lives and died of diseases and, you know, we don't want to go back there. We want to go forward. So I think that's the, the hardest, hardest things. And what, um, what can the, the ones that are watching this live and that will watch it on YouTube live stream and the replay, uh, what can they do to help you? I know it's a kind of unusual question. It seems you've got everything, but uh, sometimes little things can also help. No, but connect us to great entrepreneurs with... Um, with transformative technology. We, we, we are looking for the Davids. They can be, of course, female as well. And we, we yeah, so, but David and Goliath, everyone has heard that story. And uh, the, like people like David is really the change makers. And if you look at the story, like the tr- traditional version of the story is that God intervened and made this small boy defeat this big warrior. And you can't do that if you don't get help, divine help. But then Malcolm Gladwell has popularized another version of the of the story. If you look at the situation with another glasses, you see uh, one person with uh, superior technology, uh, uh, a slingshot that can kill from a distance. So if you're not trained, you will actually you will see a small boy that will certainly get killed. But if you have the right glasses, you see this you know, very daring young boy that uh, that knows he's going to win. Because, and that's why he dares to take pick, pick the fight. And we want people with that mindset that really think they can change the world and have, you know, I used to say megalomania, create something big. And they want, like, really need to be obsessed with solving the problem, not by building a big company and become rich, but really mm-hmm. solve a big problem and then have the skills and technology and, you know, everything you need to, to do that. And, and please send them our way because they are very rare. They're, it's not easy to find. Uh, but once you do that, they can really change the world. Thank you to our guest and audience for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please subscribe where you listen to your podcast. This was Radical Truth. Stay safe.